What's up, everybody? Welcome back. This is The Real Film Podcast, and you are currently tuned in to episode two. Woo! You made it. You made it. Um, We appreciate you guys for staying tuned in. Before we dive into anything, we want to remind you to definitely follow our socials at The Real Film Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at The Real Film Podcast. Definitely like share leave comments tweet us let us know what you're thinking about the content and if you want to see something on the podcast definitely shout us out tweet us and we'll be sure to try to include that in our future episodes but thank you again for staying tuned in and keep joining us on this ride (laughs) (laughs) oh and your honesty (laughs) i know i was getting to that i was getting to that so if you don't know my name is honesty tajay I'm Shaka Bimbo. And we are so incredibly happy to have you guys uh, with us today. Uh, we have a lot to cover, so let's just get into it. Hey, bro, side note, two things real quick. I hate how you're taller than me in this thing. <laughs> and the second, I'm never saying my last name on this pod ever again. It sounds so like, boy, never again. Hey, I told you, that's why I use that middle name. We got the finesse to it real quick. Oh, you're so cool. <laughs> Congratulations. I am. I am. I really am. Uh, but no, we're going to just start off with our first category of the day. And it's, uh, oh my goodness, I'm drawing a complete bank, y'all. It's what's hot. What's that hot? is our category for today. We got a couple of things. We're going to start off first with the um, Amazon original movie. And that is Sayla and the Spades. Um, if you don't know what that is, I'm going to give you a brief rundown of what the series is about, the movie is about. It is about five fractions that run the underground life of Hadwell School, a prestigious East Coast boarding school. At the head of the most powerful faction sits Sayla Summers, walking the fine line between being feared and loved. This is a really great movie, you all. Um, if you have not heard about it um you definitely need to tune in look it up real quick um you got some really notable actors and actresses Jarrell jerome he is of course it's awesome man <laughs> he's, a, he's a very very handsome <laughs> but he is a um yo <laughs> When they see us, he's a acclaimed uh, winner in Academy Award uh, for, he starred in Moonlight Academy Award Best Picture. He also starred in Corey Wise um, and When They See Us for Avery DuVernay's Netflix miniseries, um, where he received a prestigious award as well for that. Um, you also have uh, Lovey Simone. She also plays in Greenleaf. And if you don't know what Greenleaf is, that is also on own network. So definitely check out some of these. Some of these actors and actresses are familiar. You got also Jesse Williams, who starred in Grey's Anatomy. Just a couple of notable actors. Then you got some actors who are um, up and coming, who you might see from a couple of things. And you're like, oh, you know that Leonardo DiCaprio photo where it's like you got the drink in the hand and the, the cigar. He's like, yeah, you're gonna have one of those moments with a couple of these actors. You know, <laughs> I'll, we'll put that image up there because I know most of y'all know what we talk about if y'all on Twitter. Um, I should hit you with a big young face. I don't know what she's talking about right now. I, I, I guarantee you the audience is going to know what I'm talking about. As soon as you display that across the screen, they'll be like, yes. Because everybody does that. It's like when you like see somebody you know. Oh, is that mean with DiCaprio? Yes, where he's like, point it. 
and he's got the cup in the head and he's got this. <laughs> Anyways, uh, who yet? <laughs> we'll run it down the cast. I'm just saying that some of these people are familiar and some may not be, but definitely a great ensemble. Um, but we're just going to dive in what the movie is about. So the movie um, is definitely one of those indie uh, films for sure and just kind of highlights this, our character, Sayla, and her coming to the terms with she's about to be at the end of her you know, high school experience and all the work she has put on into this boarding school. She needs to now find a another predecessor like somebody to take on the responsibilities that she input take on the work that she has put in um within her faction mm-hmm. and if you don't know she's like the top dog spoilers y'all she's the top dog um of the boarding school and pretty much she's just she's kind of ruthless but um you learn in the story like why she's ruthless and it's just kind of like the pressure not only from the people who surround her at the boarding school, but also family. Um, Yo, so was, uh, yeah, definitely, my bad. No, I was just saying that, you know, that's that's why you get to notice, you know, where that pressure comes from and why her actions can seem a little ruthless, for sure. Definitely. I want to go back to the beginning, because, like, when you first get into it, you're introduced mm-hmm. to, like, this boarding school world where there's, like, five factions. Like, the mm-hmm. five factions are... It's like uh, teacher's pets, which are the ones that give out, like, answers to homework and do your, mm-hmm. do your work for you. So that's mm-hmm. a whole little, like, organization. They got, like, the uh, Sailor and the Spades, which is our main characters group. And they're the ones that are, you know, moving all the, moving the, the weight. weight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're the ones selling the drugs, keeping everybody nice and happy. Uh, yes. And then we got, uh, what's the... Um, the other fraction, it's not hitting me, but um, oh, it's the one with oh, with the parties. The one yeah, that I was about to say, the white girl. Parties. But hey, bro, you know the, the girl that plays her? She's like twenty seven in real life. She's playing like this high school student. Sayla? No, like the one that's in charge of like the parties. Oh, uh, okay. It looks very young. She looks very young. They called the Bobbies. They called the Bobbies. That's yes. like the main yes spoiler, I guess. But that's like the main little beef between the Spades and the Bobbies, which is Sailor's characters versus hers. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. last group is the the principal guys, like the principal pet, the dude that basically keeps everything underground. So he's in charge of making the headmaster. Sure, yeah, he's making sure making sure uh, he's in charge of making sure everything's under the radar. So like, it's really cool though when you come into this story. Oh, like, are you talking about Sailor's right hand man or are you talking about the actual principal? Oh, white dude. White dude. Because there's five there's five leaders. Oh yeah. He's it's like, like the last one. Yeah, it's Bob uh, it's Bobettes, one of the the head person who's over the Bobettes. It's her partner. It's Tom, two times Tom, wherever his name was. <laughs> two Tom. But anyways, uh I just think it's dope how like we're like pushed into this world. Mm-hmm. And it's like you're immediately like in the middle of it. You don't do a lot mm-hmm. of like was exposition to really mm-hmm. build it up it's just that little bit about the factions and then we're in it and i think that's yeah. just super dope to make you know mm-hmm. just have to fend for yourself the only thing i saw looking at the woman talked about her name is you know the director's name the director's name is Tay. Tay. let you say it Teresha poe i know she talked about how when she was like you know trying to get this into production after it was written a lot mm-hmm. of people wanted to like switch it to the focus of the new girl so this is a new girl uh her name's like paloma mm-hmm. 
And so she's new into this world. So naturally you would think that you would follow that character as you explore this world with them. Mm. I just think it's interesting that she chose to start with like the top dog and we're mm. not like, we're going from her perspective as if we already knew about this story. So that's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. I think it's also, like you said, interesting. And I think it works because we're getting the sense of we're following somebody who is losing that power that they once mm-hmm. has. Not even like the sense of power, but actual power being at this boarding school. And it's also having to come to grips with that. Okay, they're transitioning out of high school, but into college. So we're like the whole idea of having an identity and having that power, she's having to start all over again. And, you know, there's even been talks about in the past when they good did come up with her grooming somebody to take over her responsibility. As soon as that possibility of somebody actually taking on that role and possibly doing it better than her, she couldn't get to come to grips with. And I think that was very interesting. Like, yes, we do get a sense of like Paloma's character and her relationship with Sayla. I think I like the fact that we're more so focused on Sayla and it's really just some just the focus of somebody losing power like there's no question that they're gonna lose inevitably will be losing power and that's what i really like about it and the cast is diverse it's super diverse which i love definitely definitely i think that whole like losing power is like a consistent thing Mm -hmm. because the story is really about like her like control and her losing control and as she loses control like she loses control of her situation Mm-hmm. So when she's not in control, like, she goes crazy. But it's kind of cool to see, like, that's kind of a direct, like, hand-me-down from her mom. Because her mom mm-hmm. is the one that's on her grades. Like, every time she calls, it's a serious conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sailor gets real, like, I don't know. Shut down. She feels <laughs> small. You could tell she yeah. feels small when it comes to her mother. And that's probably where she gets that whole power complex from. Her mother has that complex of wanting to be in control. So she's literally been in complete control of Sayla's life. So we can only assume by like the information that's presented is that her mother was the one who forced her to be in that boarding school. Her mother is the one who's ultimately forcing her to participate what she's participating at the boarding school. And we're seeing also that her mother's also trying to be in control yet again by choosing which school her daughter will end up in for college so that's definitely where she gets her power complex from and you can even even just even on the screen when like she's actually in the presence of her mother she kind of shrinks and like she's hesitant in approaching her mother she shrinks in regards to like her posture when it comes to like phone calls with her mother the whole tone changes you could tell there's just a whole disconnect between her mother and herself definitely definitely uh last thing i had about the actual like story mm-hmm. was like the relationship between paloma which is like the new girl and mm-hmm. sailor mm-hmm. like obviously you said that like sailor kind of takes a liking to her like immediately mm-hmm. uh, and that happened too like in that one scene in the gym where like she's taking pictures mm-hmm. and like sailor's like like head of the cheerleading team and she's kind of mm-hmm. explaining stuff to her mm-hmm. but remember we saw like that montage where it's like Mm-hmm. Like they're doing like moves and then she's talking it's, it's and out of focus. so it's like she's giving a whole monologue about you know young girls especially yeah. when they're in their teenage years and how they're constantly being told that they're not in control of their bodies and themselves and she's basically giving a monologue about how like when you have that power 
like when you are you finally grow into that having that power and control of yourself hold on to it as much as you can because the world and the people that surround you are going to constantly be trying to berate you and take that power with power away from you and so it's a direct correlation to what she's facing outside of of course the trio leaving squad which is with her mother her mother constantly take that trying to take that power away from her the bobettes them constantly trying to take her position away from her and then her homeboy which is Jarrell jerome maxi who's supposed to be her right hand boy slipping slipping on so many you know occasions like not having the books together somebody Uh, being able to get the books you know selling you know selling the wrong amounts of goods to folks and him his frustration and him being sloppy is making her also lose a sense of power and control not even over the faction itself which is pushing the weight but like their relationship with one another you know and you can even see that if she doesn't have control over not even just her position and you know the power dynamic she has over other factions if she doesn't have a control of the relationships that she forms with people it also kind of create a crack into her into this well put together shell that she presents yeah for sure and i think that's what's also interesting about her relationship with paloma is because like the initial relationship between paloma and sayla is in clearly infatuation it's clearly infatuation by um by paloma paloma is infatuated by sayla how she presents herself how you know she presents herself as this well put together all you know cheerleader a plus student you know well known but then you also see behind the scenes that she's the lead in regards to delinquent or illegal activity. Um, so it's that. And then it's also just like we see Sayla. Sayla's relationship with Palomas is almost like kind of predatory in nature, not like, you know, in the physical sense, but it's more so like she had looked towards her in the sense of she can bring me something to the table. I can gain something from her. I can gain something from the relationship. And that's just honestly her teaching her, you know, how to move Mm -hmm. in the boarding school so she can take on that responsibility. So it doesn't feel like her legacy is is lost. It's funny you say that too, because I feel like there was like this whole like under, it's like, was it this a word for it? I'm being a bad film student guy but uh, there's like an understory or whatever about like their relationship where it seems like there's like going to be like some kind of like, mm-hmm. like sexual collection or something yeah there. intimacy like, level of intimacy for sure but then Sailor has a speech about like her basically saying i'm asexual but not having the words to say it mm-hmm. and so i didn't know if this was like a moment where she's like discovering like, oh like this is what i really am or mm-hmm. not but then mm-hmm. as we see the story goes on it's like it's almost like Sailor. Like, she's just interested in using her. It's totally predatory in nature. And then Paloma's the complete opposite. Like, she's real, like, free-flowing. Like, mm-hmm. really wants saying? to make sure everything she's doing is perfect for Sailor. So at one point, she even gets on Maxi at the fact that, of course, he's slipping. And, you know, here's somebody who's new in the game. And Maxi, like, bro, I've been down here through it with Sailor. And you're coming out of nowhere trying to tell me how to handle business. But it's just really, like... She- Paloma has a connection with Sayla and maybe it's on a mental, maybe it's on a spiritual, but I think we're seeing for Paloma is is the possibility of also being physical Mm -hmm. with Sayla. She literally communicates like, you know, cause she even asked her, asked Paloma, you know, have you ever done this and that? And Paloma's kind of like, yeah, haven't you? And she, and Sayla's like, no, 
Like I've never been physical with somebody. Like I just don't have interest in it. And I'm glad you brought up the term. I feel like she gives off the vibe of potentially being asexual. But I think it's also like, okay, she could be very well asexual, but it could just be like, you have to think about it. That whole intimacy level that you have with somebody that's considered being vulnerable with somebody. Yeah, she's not able to and go to that I don't think that she's able to go to a sense of vulnerability. But she tries to at times. Or she didn't try to, but she's, like, in that state, and she tries to, like, hide it. And Paloma's mm-hmm. like, nah, it's okay. So mm-hmm. we see her, like, cracking her shell. And even, like, it's kind of cool, because, like, the filmmaker, like, she doesn't explicitly say, like, what's going on with that. It just kind of mm-hmm. lets it be. I think mm-hmm. the best moment we see that is when, like, Paloma's, like, sitting in this window. And it's, like, mm-hmm. this long shot. It lasts, like, 10, 15, 20 seconds. And we're just sitting there. And then the very next shot, it's like nighttime. And we're now we're in Sailor's room. And she gets the card from Paloma. And we hear mm-hmm. like the voiceover. We don't actually see the cards. We just like hear mm-hmm. like a part of it. So we barely even know it's her. And mm-hmm. the very next shot, it's like Sailor looking out the window mm-hmm. for like the longest shot in the whole film. It's like a 25-second shot. Mm-hmm. So it's purposeful to show us that yeah. it's a vulnerability vulnerability and intimacy that she has as a as a person as a person itself but then also with paloma because like even the language that was used into in the postcard that she was she had gave paloma like it was intimate kind of language too like my love like yeah you know? so i'm over here too real quick i guess because i know we're about to run short on time but mm-hmm. i was talking about the craft or like just you know the techniques also mm-hmm. though it's dope how they would like use the camera and the editing to create a sense of like surrealism or like like you know like out of reality out of body kind of thing and you first mm-hmm. see that when they're like smoking in the woods mm-hmm. and like the camera is like having all these weird motions and it feels like almost like you're in a dream mm-hmm. and we see that again when it's Sela and paloma in like the theater and it's like mm-hmm. these like red strings and they're in and out of it and like she's mm-hmm. trying to get her to like basically be up this dude for snitching mm-hmm. and finally she brings herself to that rage and like, the, like it's like poetic almost how it's like flowing Mm-hmm. I think it was really dope how he did stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think was, it was also, also really cool that they didn't actually show us her having to do that. Yeah. It was just the aftermath of like Paloma having to step outside of herself, but literally stepped outside of herself for Sayla. You know, I think they did that though. How much she was connected to her. Why? I feel like we would have seen like her actually hitting this dude like that was like taped up and stuff. Mm-hmm. We would have lost the intensity of the moment because I feel like, A, who knows how realistic she looks like punching this dude. Mm-hmm. And B, there's a potential for her to be kind of funny. So I think mm-hmm. it's really dope how they kept like the intensity by just showing you like her beat up knuckles afterwards. Because mm-hmm. that was at the point of the film where I was like, you know, before I was kind of like, oh, they're selling drugs, they're doing mm-hmm. this, whatever. At that mm-hmm. point, you realize, oh, like, oh, no. Nah. Like, Sailor's really willing to go all the way with this. Like, she's really out here like a king thing, like, legit. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's also, too, I think and I think another reason why they didn't show us was because at the end of the day, I feel like even after that, we still considered Paloma being an innocent person, being a vulnerable mm. person. But her direct actions that she just did beforehand was nothing of an innocent person, nothing of somebody who was vulnerable. She had full well opportunity to like walk away from the situation, walk away from Sayla, but it showed like her that that desire and that connection that she had with Sayla literally just controlled her conscious or her to be able to consciously understand that this was wrong. You know, clearly putting hands on somebody is wrong. But putting hands on somebody on somebody who was like begging for you not to, and then they're tied up so they have no way to defend themselves. But what's worse, that or snitching? 
don't know. Like, bro kind of deserved it. <laughs> I don't think he was. He, I don't think he was snitching. I think he was the one that like he had in his possession the uh, the, book. the books. Yeah, he had in possession the books. So it was just kind of like theft, more so theft than snitching. You know. Hey, do you feel like all right? My last thing on this whole film is I feel like this film did a good job of building like a sense of momentum mm-hmm. and like intensity as we got all the way up to the very end when we were like at that like the prom thing. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like that was at that point that they dropped the ball only once, but like it's kind of big because I feel like they put all this momentum and then there was no payoff. The like, end? To yeah. The end? Okay, okay. Are we doing like complete spoilers? I feel like we kind of are. I, spoiler alert, y'all. I mean, I've already established it in the beginning, you know, so I just feel like at the end, okay, so I feel like all the momentum, it was a perfect opportunity to put up all that momentum for the focus to be on Paloma and her physical well-being when, like, in reality, like, everybody was focusing on Paloma's well-being and not recognizing that Sailor was suffering mentally, like, just suffering, and that could have been just, like, a point where they could literally done something as tragic because here she is going to the edge of the ledge. You can clearly that see, was bro. <laughs> you could clearly see that she's willing to jump. <laughs> that was the only part of the film I was like, this is kind of cringe. Bro, that's like I feel like I've seen that a million times. So the character goes to the edge of like, oh, I might really jump. And she doesn't. Like somebody that's, calls it. That's, that's what I'm saying. That's what bothered me. It's just like in the midst, I feel like in the because they could have done it in a way to where like Maxie's like, oh my gosh, like trying to make sure my Paloma's okay, and it, and then doesn't even they don't even recognize that Sayla's gone because like Sayla's jumped. That could have been a great way to just been like emphasize the fact like the, the mental, the mental and the physical fall of like somebody in power, and they didn't do it, and I was a little disappointed. But like I get what they were trying to avoid, I suppose. Yeah, I feel like at that point, shit, just because they were kind of hinting at the fact that Sailor's kind of a monster. I feel like she just totally went in on that. Either have her completely be a monster, it really like F over Paloma's life. I don't want that to happen, but I feel like that would kind of go with the mm-hmm. what's going on. Or, like, I don't know. Or just totally, like, d- like dig deeper into, like, what's really going on and something. Mm-hmm. I don't know, bro. I just wasn't very satisfied. Yeah, I was, I'm not gonna lie, I was a little disappointed with the ending, but overall, the movie is great. Um, Rotten Tomatoes, it has a Rotten Tomatoes rating of 90%, I believe, at this it's moment. It's amazing. Great So, movie. really good. Um, definitely indie, and indie, that indie vibe. Like, you know, when people say, it's a vibe, it's it's a one of those, it's a vibe, I guess, type of films. It's like an Anderson, uh, a Wes Anderson feel to it at times. Yeah, and what, what's great is it fe- features a diverse set of cast members, which I really, really enjoy. So definitely check that out. But moving on to our next What's Hot topic, hashtag What's Hot, um, we're going to be talking about um, something that's really popular right now, especially during quarantine, where sports is not right. something that's going on right now. People are talking about the last dance. So if you let Shaka take the lead on that one because you know he's the sports fanatic. You got the league podcast for you know basketball, so hey. I'll let him take the lead on that one. We'll be back at it in the fall when the league comes back. You know we got you covered. Uh, <laughs> nah, so as most of you guys know by now, the Last Dance is the Michael Jordan documentary, a ten-part series, hour each episode. That's mm-hmm. airing on ESPN right now. Uh, mm-hmm. It goes over Michael Jordan's last season 
with the Bulls and it was it 97? And so this mm-hmm. is after winning five championships, they're going for that sixth one. Mm-hmm. And ownership has told Phil Jackson, like, yo, we're not bringing you back. And Phil mm-hmm. has basically, I mean, Mike's basically said, if Phil's not coming back, I'm not coming back. So they mm-hmm. went into the season knowing, like, hey, this, this is, is going to be the last dance. That's so, really what they called it, the last dance. Hey, and so some smart guy had the four, the four thought, the four thought? Uh, foresight. Foresight. Yeah. Oh, it's foresight. Okay. Whatever. That one. Uh, to film it, like to, to get the cameras rolling. So they got all this footage. So it's amazing just to see like this unfiltered, I mean, it's even like TVMA on ESPN, this unfiltered look at Mike, like unbuttoned, like it's, it's dope. So as a non-sports person, you know what I'm saying? Me personally, I, mean, I don't know a lot about the Mike stories, but as a non-sports person, do you feel like you're getting like into the story? Yeah, I actually do. Like, I am definitely not a sports, like, a sports fanatic. Um, And even then, like, the sports that I do have interest in aren't necessarily, like, hardcore NBA fan. So I don't know too much of the ins and outs and the facts and the history around it. Like, even when they do the trivias, I'd be, like, lost. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I'm watching it. I definitely feel like it's definitely an unfiltered kind of like inside scoop to what was going on, not even just with Michael Jordan, which I really liked, but the the team itself. Cause you you got um Dennis Rodman that they like kind of like highlight and him being on the team during that season. Scotty Pippen, um Philip Jackson, the coach, and then Jerry, you know, the general manager. <laughs> Jerry Cross. I, was just, I had no idea who this guy was. It's just so crazy to see like yeah, this like I had, cool. <laughs> I had no idea about. I'm not saying I didn't have no idea about these players. Of course, I know about these players. These are great players, yeah. but I didn't know too much into the details that affected them on and off the court. And I feel like the watching it is a great way for like those headlines that every that was happening then, us seeing the behind the hat the headlines. You know oh, what was really affecting them. And, what was really happening business-wise behind the scenes that affected them on the court. So it was definitely worth it. Um, did I gain new information? Definitely. Um, was there some things that I had already knew? For sure. Has it changed my opinion on a lot of things? I wouldn't say not really. I wouldn't say so. Like, not really. My opinion is kind of like the same in regards to like certain players or like certain business people in like the game itself but I definitely think it's a, a great insight to it especially right now when we don't have sports going on right now it's mm-hmm. definitely a great way because I love documentaries so it's a great way for me to like know about that you know 97 run with the Bulls without like necessarily having to do a ton of research on Google and all that so yeah for sure I definitely want to talk about this last like, well, specifically episode five. Mm-hmm. But uh, before we do that, I did want to, like, well, one, shout-outs to, what was his name, Jason Eher. He's done a lot of, like, 30 for 30s, like, UFC-type stuff. So he's mm-hmm. directing this, and he's joined. Actually, I think it's just you – know, somebody else is, like, a major person, too. I forget her name. But shout-outs to them because they pushed this up. It was supposed to air, like, in June or July. And because mm-hmm. of all the coronavirus stuff, and the pressure put on mm-hmm. them by some very important people. They decided mm-hmm. to go ahead and put it mm-hmm. out now. So I guess mm-hmm. it's really not even done yet. So they haven't 
finish episode nine or ten. So they're really mm-hmm. kind of just piecing this together as they go, which is pretty mm-hmm. crazy. But mm-hmm. on that note, what do you think about the format? Like, so it shows like obviously the '97 season, but mm-hmm. most of it's like flashing back throughout Mike's career. Yes. Every time a teammate joined the team, they would spend time to like, all right, this is this guy's story. We're going mm-hmm. like back and forth. I think yes. that's pretty crazy like of a editing timeline. So what are your thoughts on how that's handled? So, okay. It's like, it could be a little distracting for me because I'm the type of person who's just like, I feel like I'm a lot of viewers at times where I have to really just sit myself down and just to watch something like holy, no distractions, none of that. And a lot of us right now have a bunch of distractions. So it's kind of like hard for me to be like, okay, what time frame are we in? Like, are we in 84, 85? Oh, we're at 97 right now. So yes, like it, it is a little distracting how we're going back and forth, back and forth. I really wish that we can like seamlessly go through things, but I guess I'm understanding that a lot of the stuff that was happening in the 80s is directly affecting his decisions in the game in the 90s. So that's why I kind of like I understand, but it it just shows that this is something you have to pay attention to. So if you really want to know the ins and outs of what was going on, like the little, the smallest of details, you need to really pay attention to it. Like I like the idea of giving me, you know, the 80s, you know, what was going on in the 80s and then what was going on in the 90s specifically 97, 84, 85. And then you also give me the present day interviews for those situations. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's like I'm getting like three different time frames, and I'm jumping all between all of them, which can be a little bit hard. I think it's funny too, because like, I can't really tell. Who, actually, I do know. I feel like this doc is for specifically people who are basketball fans. Michael Jordan, you know, not just Michael Jordan, because people that are really NBA nuts. So mm-hmm. I think this documentary kind of takes an assumption that you know Michael Jordan's career. Mm-hmm. So it feels the freedom to be able to like hop around. Where mm-hmm. somebody that actually knows things is like, oh, okay, yeah, I remember that moment. Oh, dang, I forgot when he went crazy in the Knicks in the garden, blah, blah, blah. Where someone mm-hmm. that doesn't know these moments, I always felt like, man, this probably is kind of like hard to like yeah, it's, keep track of where we're at. It's a little bit hard for me to keep track and it's just like I want to be one of those people who's done with it be like I learned so much from it and I feel like okay I learned something but I'm also still very confused yeah and I definitely think like of course it's on ESPN it's brought to you by ESPN and Netflix if you didn't know that mm-hmm. but it's definitely it's definitely for the people who are like at home right now who already are in tune to sports and in tune to ESPN and are definitely like dang sports is not happening what's my substitute why not watch something about the one of one of the greatest players of all time michael jordan the greatest the goat yeah and so it's also just like also another opportunity for people who are just who were around in those times like living in those times going to those games who were kids you know growing up during the michael jordan era to really like you said have those moments where it's like i remember that oh oh I forgot about that I remember it was like this this and that whereas for me it's just kind of like I'm really just getting snapshots of stuff that was happening you know Mm -hmm. man so I definitely want to talk about uh what happened this today's episode but this just reminded me like it's also cool like I feel like they're telling it as if we're going back in time at Mm -hmm. points we're like reliving the moments whereas Mm -hmm. I feel like some other docs are more like it's a book it's like all right well in 92 Mike Mm -hmm. did this so like for someone who obviously I was born like in 94 
so I wasn't conscious for like that second string of champions. I was born in '97, so the last, <laughs> yeah. the last dance era. So it's kind of like what. So it's kind of like I know some of this stuff, but I don't really know. It. I know from perspective of like I read the stats, I've seen like the box or the box scores, but to actually mm-hmm. see like the actual news stories, the actual mm-hmm. like interviews from back then, like in mm-hmm. order and different mm-hmm. times, it's kind of mm-hmm. crazy to be like, dang, I didn't even know like the magnitude of this moment. So mm-hmm. that's cool. But we can go ahead and get into some things that just happened. Mm-hmm. So. This episode kind of started off with the whole, like, Be Like Mike thing. They showed, like, the Gatorade commercials. We even be seen Like this- Mike, drink Gatorade. <laughs> <laughs> we even saw, like, the uh, like the Spike Lee stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So there's always just been this thing, like, in basketball where it's, like, different eras. There's, like, different guys who are, like, the face of the league. So way yeah. back in the day, like, in the 70s, you had – like Dr. J, like Julius mm-hmm. Irving. He's like the guy with the fro, the swag, the cars, the women. Mm-hmm. Like he's the first like swaggy superstar. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then we have Magic and Bird in that battle. And that's kind of like boxing. You have like the black people are rooting for the black dude in LA. And like we're rooting for Larry Bird in Boston. So there's like this whole like country is split. Mm-hmm. Two amazing players, great personalities, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then we have Jordan. Who was literally the all-American dream. (laughs) So, yeah, this is also at the time when David Stern, who was the commissioner of the league, was trying to make it a global game. So we even seen, Mm -hmm. like, how they were in the Olympics and all that other stuff. Mm -hmm. So Mike was, like, the the child of the swaggy Dr. J, the -hmm. successful businessman in terms of, like, making basketball money of Magic and Larry. Now this is this guy who's, like, brought up to be like, all right, we have all these lessons. Now you're going to be this perfect person embodiment of all of them so mike literally had nothing that we saw get out like we didn't hear him about anything bad we didn't hear about him smoking and drinking i mean he had the cigars Mm -hmm. or whatever Mm -hmm. so like what do you think about this image that he had to live up to up until this point in his career i think i think he i think they do a great representation of saying basically he had a lot of pressure like he had a lot of pressure to the point where it could literally drive somebody insane somebody who was truly in love with playing the game and competition could literally be like i'm done i'm over it because of the pressure from the league and the pressure from the media and Mm -hmm. you know at some point you know the controversy about his gambling career or not career his gambling and them, them trying to like you know, finally, they get something that's negative <laughs> about him. him. You know, like I said, we got him. Finally get something negative about him, and it's just like they're running it to the ground. And he even talked about, like, most of the times where he has a little sense of peace is when he's alone in a hotel room. And I'm like, that is terrible. As Literally, he's sitting in the hotel room, like, the only time I have with myself is if I sit in this room. Yes, and then you guys come and bother me. That's what he says. So it's just <laughs> kind of like, dang, that is a lot of pressure from one person to have. Not just for one day, not for one week, but for years. They said he was the biggest icon in the world, not just sports. Like no, he was. Like they're going, they're going to different countries, and different countries are rocking USA T-shirts, like USA (laughs) Michael uh, Michael Jordan T-shirts. You know, people are begging him for autographs, begging billboards in Barcelona. (laughs) Yeah, like he is literally the biggest name when it comes to sports. And then especially when it comes to NBA. So it's that pressure. And 
and it's just kind of like you don't want to mess it up and so I think that one thing they just really did really well of was also highlighting the fact that he didn't try to mess it up with like what was going on in his personal life so no drugs no alcohol you know cases of infidelities all that he didn't you didn't hear about that but then it was also just kind of like he didn't want to mess it up also with saying something that somebody didn't necessarily agree with and that's what they also talk about politics and his opinions on that and he's he's definitely one of those part, people who's kind of like I don't know nothing about that I'm just be quiet I'm just sitting back I don't know nothing about that and yeah. it's just like I feel like a lot of people have definitely noted that when it comes to Michael Jordan and noted that when it comes to like being frustrated with Michael Jordan so I can feel like I feel like he did definitely face a lot of pressure to be only also too was 30 years old in 97 was it 97 he was like the last dance he was like 30 years old I believe I'm not sure I well, he's like very, very 32 he was in his like early 30s to be dealing with all of that and just think that started when he was in his like early 20s so it's like yeah you're dealing with the pressure of trying to be perfect since you first like a play like almost professional basketball so like starting off in college and then transitioning to pre- professional basketball so that's a good nine ten plus years of trying to keep this perfect image when everyone around you isn't you see like Is the first episode when his he's a rookie his rookie year he's like 21 years old he's saying he going to hotel rooms seeing lines of like, people doing cocaine people i never seen none of this in my life yeah <laughs> i think these are like million well back then they weren't getting kind of bread they getting now but these are rich people so they have <laughs> access to a lot of stuff so for this young kid to come into this yeah. and he's like the th- third pick in the draft superstar mm-hmm. ncaa mm-hmm. champion mm-hmm. and like man like, mm-hmm. and what did he do? He Walked took, out. Like, who does that? Me? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> What's cracking? <laughs> shut up. But the, that shows. 30 in the morning. Shut up. That shows his mentality, though, because he even said it too. He said, I, My thought process right when that happened was like, Whoa. But it was kind of like, I need to get out of here because they, they can come in here right now at any moment and raid, and I'd be just as responsible as these people are, and I'm not even doing that. That shows his mindset. He's he like, I don't. He's on a mission. He doesn't want to mess up. Here's an opportunity. He's trying to be the best out of it, best out of doing it, and he's not trying to do anything that would jeopardize himself of doing that. That's a lot of pressure to place upon yourself, and that's a lot of pressure for the world, not just. NBA, not just sports fans, but the world is putting on Michael Jordan. Like you can literally be somebody who literally did not really like like sports or like that, but Michael Jordan had become such an icon off even off the court that it was just kind of like you even had opinions of Michael Jordan and didn't even like follow him for his career. So and that kind of leads into the whole Michael and the support from the black community. I know, like okay, we know that Michael Jordan isn't necessarily the greatest advocate of (laughs) social justice and stuff and i know like when we talked about this off air you mentioned that you thought or which a lot of people would agree i think even mike would agree to some of this is because he didn't want to like you know say the wrong things he's all this pressure so he doesn't want to be controversial in any way because it's going to mess up the bread and it's going to mess up Mm -hmm. his image we'll mess Mm -hmm. up the image mess up the bread and Mm -hmm. so me personally i feel like obviously yes that has a lot to do with it but i think that when he said that, like, I didn't know this guy. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I'm not about to support him. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm an athlete. Like, I, I, I'm glad that Muhammad Ali 
was an activist too. I just never saw myself in this way. I so really he saw himself as an athlete. Yeah. I really believe that. Like, I really believe, like, in his head, like, it's okay just to, like, work work on your craft and just mm-hmm. worry about that. That's what allowed him to be the greatest of all time. He's literally, like, obsessed with basketball. Yeah. And so I think that while... Like, I think it's interesting, too. Yeah. I wanted to pinpoint that. This is just interesting, too, because in a sense, you know, rest in peace, Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant was very similar to that. He was That's his big like, bro. I'm not an activist. I'm an athlete. So, like, I don't have opinions on this. And then he'll, if he does have an opinion, it's not the opinion that people want. And so it's always that controversy around it. So he's like, maybe I should just be quiet and just stick with the stuff I know. So it's just like, I get it. I get the whole point of, like, you being an athlete and, you know, of course you don't know this guy. This is not from the state, you know, you know, you're living in, you're currently playing for, so why do you have to? But I think it's just kind of like, I feel like there's an undeniable pressure. There's an undeniable responsibility that Black or artists of color have on themselves when it comes to representing their people. And it wasn't just like, oh, the guy, uh, the senator, potential senator candidate, uh, Gantt, was just a rando and his competitor was just another rando. No, yeah. <laughs> his competitor was a clearly a prejudiced person. Yeah. His actions was showed that he was prejudiced and showed that he was not for people of color, was not for the impoverished. And it's just kind of like, here's somebody who is literally, you're literally being faced with what is right and wrong. And you're literally saying, I don't want to say nothing about the right and wrong because I'm an athlete. So it's just kind of like, he literally said that a lot of people were disappointed in him for it. A lot of people. I think that's kind of crazy, too, because, you know, like, LeBron's little slogan right now, uh, his company slogan with him and Maverick Carter is more than an athlete. Like, that's his mm-hmm. brand. So it's mm-hmm. kind of crazy to see the evolution mm-hmm. now where it's like LeBron's really involved, although I do. Mm-hmm. Whatever. I think LeBron, that whole thing is gas. We don't see LeBron talking about presidential mm-hmm. candidates. We don't see LeBron talking about things that are controversial. He's still pretty safe, too. I don't think so. I think it's just kind of like, I don't think so because definitely he has definitely said things are con- controversial. He's worn things that what? are controversial. He's worn Black Lives Matter t-shirts. He's worn Trayvon Martin t- Those are considered controversial topics. When we talk about Black Lives Matter, for a lot of people that is still considerably controversial, that's where the whole shut up and pl- dribble thing came from when people were talking about LeBron James. It's because he was very vocal about the struggle of Black lives and like in regards to police relations. So I don't think you could say he's definitely straddling the line. He's definitely done more in the sense that I can say vocally in comparison to Michael Jordan. <laughs> I do think also that's a symptom of the times. We're in a mm-hmm. different time now where I think athletes have the ability to really be on Twitter, to really be out here. Their own mm-hmm. media company, Spectrum, mm-hmm. Mike was doing it. Literally, you play basketball and you're supposed mm-hmm. to go home. He's not mm-hmm. like you're this... But I do think my whole point with LeBron was just like, not to get this on LeBron, but I will get this out there. I think that he's safe controversial. Where he says things that he knows, like he knows when you look back in history, this person is wrong. And he knows history is going to reflect that, right? Mm-hmm. And he knows these are topics where it's like, this person is being prejudiced, racist, whatever. But where I think that about like Muhammad Ali is different is, like mm-hmm. Muhammad Ali didn't go into the, the war. He dodged the... You know what I mean? Mm. Things like that, those aren't mm. safe, controversial. Those are like, mm. bro, to this He was day, willing to lose his titles to like- Put everything on the line. Like, everything on the line because he believed and undoubtedly that and he no, would be supportive 
Exactly. No athlete should have to do that. I'm just saying is mm-hmm. when we talk about people being like activists and really like being controversial, I do think it's a little disrespectful to the athletes that really were like mm-hmm. like even like a like a there's a basketball player that was just various like activists like that to point like out. Kareem. Yes, they, they didn't push him out, but uh are you talking about Adurin? Was it Adufrain? What's his name? He's a Muslim dude who legit got blackballed in the NBA. Yeah, blackball from the NBA, like literally pushed him out because he was so vocal about black struggle being muslim and a black muslim at that yeah so so i definitely want to don't get me wrong there there is there is levels you got like there are levels of people who are just like i don't want to speak on it because i'm just an athlete i'm not an activist then you got those who are like i know this is wrong i'm an athlete but i also can be very vocal about something that's wrong and you got people who are just complete i'm an activist i'm a human being i am for human beings before anything i know i'm an athlete but i'm i'm an activist I was gonna say too is you saw the whole China controversy with the NBA. Did mm-hmm. you see that when uh, Daryl Morey, who's the Rockets GM, basically tweeted out support for you know people in China who are kind of you know struggling with their government and freedoms and stuff like that. And LeBron basically was like mad because he did that because basically he messed. You know, LeBron's the biggest athlete in China, dang near like that's his one of his. Mm-hmm. That's the NBA's second biggest market is China. Mm-hmm. So basically, cost LeBron millions of dollars. LeBron was basically mad. Mm. because of that instead of we look back at history obviously the right point is to be with the people of china so what the dude mm. did wasn't bad just in terms of business it hurt everybody's money so that's mm. those times we see like hmm i don't know <laughs> but anyway <laughs> not about that i do want to say that while i said all that i still am like i want to celebrate lebron and also too i don't want to be hard on jordan because i think i think people get caught up in the fact that like He's not on the front lines. Mm-hmm. Never gonna say anything controversial. He's never gonna mm-hmm. say anything approaching borderline controversial. He's not. It's gonna be safe. But mm-hmm. I think when we criticize that, we get into that whole idea of lumping all black people in one category mm-hmm. and making it feel like we all have to have the same opinions. I'm willing to bet a lot mm-hmm. of money that Mike's opinions on life are not in line with the most popular opinions of most black people. For sure, but it's not even just like what black That's why he's not talking black. about. That's why he's but not it's, talking. It's not in just in regards to what's them support of what's black and, you know, back, just black voices and stuff. I think it's just also just like over the years you could even look at today it's just more so are you going to be a voice of something that's clearly wrong or are you just going to be one of those people a part of history who didn't say anything who were still just as equally wrong? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. My own point was just the fact that I think that a lot of the reasons is he doesn't talk is because his opinions aren't in line with everyone's opinions. In the same way, it's okay to have black Republicans to a certain extent. Now, don't get me. There's he like said, there's levels to. He like, said Republicans were Jordans too. <laughs> Whoa, but no, but obviously there's different levels to this. But what I'm saying is like it's like Stephen A. Smith, right? A lot of black people don't like Stephen A. Smith because he feel like he's a sellout. He's corporate. Mm-hmm. But my thing is, it's okay for Black people to feel like, I want to work in a system. I want to be corporate. And for Mike, Mike is the ultimate example of a Black man in suits. He was always buttoned up, dressed up. Mm-hmm. We don't have these images before Mike. Like Mike is the guy that had all of the, the nice wares. I wouldn't say that we didn't have those images. I just feel like there was a, scar- a scarcity of them. I don't I'll think on the, le- on the level of Mike. Like literally the on biggest. level of Mike? Of course. Yeah, definitely. Look, look, look. You can't not have a camera on mic. So that means every day in America, in the mm-hmm. early 90s, you had this mm-hmm. black man on TV, the most powerful man in pop culture was a mm-hmm. black man in a suit. Like, that mm-hmm. image is because of Mike. 
Like, let's not ignore the fact that he went and avoided controversy for 20 years in the NBA public life. Mm-hmm. Like, now how many athletes do you know on that level of success, whether it be the Mayweathers, the Tiger Woods, whoever, mm-hmm. Who successfully navigated that? Bro, you just mentioned two people who had complete controversy. But no, I'm saying is who's the biggest golf? No, I'm saying who's the face of golf? Yeah, Tiger Woods. Who's the face of boxing? The most successful boxer of all time, financially. Like right now? Floyd Mayweather makes three hundred million a fight. (laughs) No other boxer is even. When he fought Conor McGregor, Conor McGregor made like one hundred and fifty million less than him on that fight. Mm. Because Mayweather is the biggest name in boxing history in terms of financially. Hmm. controversy but we could be running on and on and on about this topic but ultimately if you have not been watching the last dance check it out um new episodes are every sunday so make sure you check those out um we're gonna move along to our next topic so we're not running on you guys but next topic is are you still watching so it's funny that we mentioned documentaries specifically docuseries uh the last dance it's gonna bring us to our next topic which is you can't handle the truth and this topic primarily focuses on the ideas of narrative biographies and the controversy that surrounds them. So we're going to start off by like different little points when it comes to documentaries or bio- biographies, specifically biographies, and how much they straddle the line of being narrative and how much they straddle the line of being true depictions, like true biographies the facts the idea of being inspired by versus based on a true story um so there are a number of films out here that are undoubtedly do not like is a lot of misinformation that surrounds a lot of films um where things that you connected with for biographies and you think like oh my god like wow, like this was happening, you come to find out that like, oh no, this didn't happen at all. This was just something someone chose to come up with to kind of like drive the story together. And so, for example, you got like movies on Netflix, um, Self Made, which is about uh, Madam C.J. Walker, um, the first black woman uh, self-made millionaire, millionaire, billionaire, excuse me, um, from hair products, you know, the hot comb and her... um, straighteners creams and all that the movie itself it's like visually appealing it's beautiful you got um octavia spencer you got tiffany haddish you got blair underwood great actors in the film but then you soon find out there's a lot of things in the film that weren't actually accurate so for example tiffany haddish who plays her daughter turns out tiffany haddish was not actually lesbian was not actually like there wasn't the part, the person she was infatuated with, the woman she was infatuated with and was intimate with, she didn't exist. Um, for example, um, Tiffany Haddish's husband never burned down the place. There was never a fire. <laughs> and that was like a big, like driving focus of the fact that she need, she wanted something bigger in regards to like a factory and all that. Um, the whole competition that she had with the woman who believe that uh, Madam C.J. Walker stole her hair serum ingredients. You know, the woman never followed her all the way down to the different city that she lived in. The woman never was just as on top of her as they tried to make it seem. Um, and the whole idea of the fact that Madam C.J. Walker constantly struggled relationship-wise and with these other women because of 
her being dark skinned and them being light skinned. That was never a thing. In fact, the woman that in self made that is supposed to be like her antagonist throughout the whole film, there's no evidence to support that this actually was someone who was biracial, who was even a hint of having European ancestry in them at all. This was something that was many believed to be a manufacturer to drive the storyline and the division amongst these black women based off of colorism. That's just one example of a movie. We got other examples like The Greatest Showman. Everybody loves that movie. Great musical, features Zendaya, Zac Efron, Hugh Jackman. Great lineup. Um, you get like Danny Newton's daughter. In it. It's a great lineup. Great movie, dude. <laughs> yes, won so many Amazing accolades. songs. Soundtrack, great soundtrack. Man, won accolades, nominations, everything for that film. Turns out like the whole movie, the whole characters in Day and Zach Afron's characters were weren't real at all. Um they were actually just made up fictions to drive the whole storyline around the idea of like these two people who are from two different cultural racial, you know, groups being connected with each other, falling for each other during a time where it's considerably taboo and it's like racial dynamics. That doesn't happen. And then Greatest Showman, the person himself, like, he was literally made profit off of the exploitation and abuse <laughs> of Black, Brown, and those with disabilities. Like, crazy. Like, if he could have made money off of literally just cutting open Black, Brown, and disabled people, he would have definitely done it. He was a cruel person. Like, let's, let's not... I think it's crazy. The Revenant, the whole bear attack didn't happen. <laughs> him being his, him having a son who was half indigenous wasn't true. Him having a wife who was indigenous wasn't true. And so many things that are just not making sense for why, why you would put that in there. And you love to say it's a biography. So we're going to first talk about the fact that, you know, Shaka, like, what's, what is the difference that makes these films acceptable when they're metaphorical and biographical and biography films? So, so yeah, so definitely we can all agree the reason they do this is because movies have to be more exciting mm-hmm. and more like put together in terms of like compartmentalized, I guess, mm-hmm. than real life. You know what I mean? Real life is way more like, it's more, way more boring. So they have to like heighten up stuff to make it sell. But I do think, like you said, there's a difference between metaphorical reasons and metaphorical mm-hmm. like devices in terms of doing this. Mm-hmm. And then just like taking a famous person and completely like changing their life, right? Mm-hmm. So like in your examples, the Madam C.J. Walker one and the one about P.T. Barnum, like the greatest showman on earth, these are like famous people who we can go in a book right now and mm-hmm. look up like crazy details about their life. Like not mm-hmm. crazy and like they're doing wild stuff, but just in terms of like, we can see like detailed accounts of what they were doing. So we can really fact check these people. Mm-hmm. These also people that are famous and have, you know, um, there's opinions about them. And so they're trying to, in a way, affect public opinion on these famous people. Whereas the one, like the Revenant, this is a guy, Hugh Glass, who we would have never known. It doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things, like if it's accurate or whatever, because I think the whole point of that film was just to convey a struggle. You know what I'm saying? It's more mm-hmm. of like a metaphorical, like against all odds, this is what frontier men mm-hmm. had to deal with in this time when it's like, obviously no technology, you're in the woods, whatever. And just mm-hmm. showing you like the struggle of 
or what humans can put themselves to through and what they can accomplish. And it's a story of revenge, right? So they really mm-hmm. want to heighten up the revenge aspect. I mm-hmm. feel like that's okay because almost like Fruitvale Station, right? Mm-hmm. Fruitvale Station has a lot of inaccurate things too, but they're all there because they're trying to create this sense in a two-hour period. So they need to like fill it with things so that you can get on the same page and continue with this story. I don't get that same feel of integration or based mm-hmm. on what they changed. That was just more so like, yo, this is a totally different story. Mm-hmm. You said the same about the Madam CJ Walker one. I don't know. I just feel like I get the idea that it's like it's okay because they're metaphorical and they're not trying to be true depictions, but like just call just just don't say it is, you know? Like, don't hype up the fact that it is a biography or anything like that, because... Didn't they change it, though? Like, based upon a true story, and then was, there's another one where it's, like... Inspired by a true story. Yeah, where it's, like, this is not... <laughs> yeah. Inspired by is probably, like, the best terminology when we think of, like, something that's... You can't take it for face value. Yeah. You know? This is where somebody's creative control for this story took way i just i don't know because like i'm the type of person i really enjoy biographies i enjoy documentaries so i love finding out something about a person and then boom i'm hit with the fact that it didn't really happen it's kind of like lie to me you know or just or maybe just like maybe if films were to take the opportunity okay like we know this isn't fact for fact base how about we just like let you know at the end this is what really happened you know do you know they most of them do that little whole like citation of like they lived for 50 years after this with their wife and child on the frontier like something like that we're just like this is an opportunity for you to pretty much let people know hey this didn't really happen it is what it is and and i just i don't know i just felt like I'm, my hopes get high when I see stuff that's like about biographies and documentaries or whatever, or about a historical figure, only to find out like at least a good 60% of the stuff that was in the film did not happen. It's a disappointment. But I think that moves on to our next part of, you know, this topic is snapshot of people's lives versus their entire origin stories. So what's what do we deem more acceptable or what do we look for more when it comes to biographies some examples are roxanne roxanne on netflix um that's about roxanne shante um female great female rapper who influenced a lot of other rappers uh in that late 80s early 90s era specifically nasir nas um inspired by roxanne shante worst beat picker in the game What'd you say? <laughs> the worst beat picker in the game. Shut up. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even go there with you. <laughs> and then Blindside. So um, Blindside, they hyped up this whole idea about this woman who was brave enough to take on this really b- beautiful, innocent black man who didn't know anything about the game of football. And we brought him, him home when I saw him walking late at night. Then the same night I brought him into my home. That didn't happen, you know? Roxanne Shante, you know, a lot of people, you, you mentioned that, you know, people like your father and other people were a little bit disappointed at the fact shout that- Shout out to this, Kevin. <laughs> this was just, shout out to him. This was just a Snapchat of Roxanne's life and people were hoping for the whole story of like how she got popular and what made her popular. Cause like, for example, as you know, when Roxanne first blows up, 
it's just kind of like, oh, she blows up, you know? She's like, oh, yeah, my name's the paper mama, or I'm on the radio mama. It's kind of like, it's nothing that shows (laughs) the ins and outs of how that happened. It's more so just on her relationship with her mother and the relationship she had with an abusive partner. It's just kind of like, people were wanting more outside of that. But, I mean, if that's her story, and that really was, took up most of her, I suppose, life, especially in the music industry, it makes sense. But then we got the blind side, just kind of like this lady, like she was first off in the blind side. The lady plays the mother, Sandra Bullock's character. She literally was one of many people who helped that young man, you know, get on his feet. And, and second thing is, she didn't allow him to be in her home as immediately. Not saying that she had to, but the whole idea that she took him in the same night, that didn't happen. They literally said like, him moving into that family or being adopted or taken on by that family was like four months after like meeting each other. Um, the whole notion that he didn't know anything about the game of football, that wasn't true. And in fact, the the person who it's about, the young man it's about, Lily said that he was highly disrespect, disappointed in the film. And he literally felt like it was disrespectful and a slap in the face that they're trying to make it seem like they had to teach him the game of football. Like he had nothing he didn't know anything about it. He didn't know how to attack, none of that. He was already somebody who knew about the game of football, who was already interested in the game of football. You know, it's just with grooming, he got better at the game of football, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I think that, well, there's a lot of issues with the blind side in terms of just, like, accuracy and mm-hmm. the whole, like, white savior film thing, which is a problem. So, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's interesting to see, like, because even with the Roxanne Shantae one, like, fans of certain people want to see, like, this timeline account of this person's life to where they can go back and relive these moments. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the Jordan documentary. But they don't take into account, unlike the Jordan documentary, this is not, like, a show or a series. Mm-hmm. There's not 10 hours of footage that we're about to see. So they only have two hours to get across get across a point, a message, mm-hmm. something. So... Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier and a lot cleaner to take a, like a slice of someone's life or mm-hmm. a major theme, and let's just focus on that instead mm-hmm. of doing everything. I think another example would be like NWA, like the Straight Outta Compton movie. Mm-hmm. Which I know we have another category we have to put that into. You can lead right into that. Lead right into that category. Yeah. So with that one, obviously they do show a little bit of like when Dre was a little younger before it popped mm-hmm. off, but most of it is really like well, there's two sections. Like, there's definitely grind. But a lot of it is really, like, when they're famous already, right? And it's just mm-hmm. easier to, like, tell a compelling story if we're going to go to the most exciting part and just stick there for a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I, I get why they do that. And it's just trying to find that balance mm-hmm. where, like, the audience and fans of this person are satisfied. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But with NWA movie, the other things with that one are... The semi-autobiographical films um, creating positive lights of of the subject matter so obviously with this one dr dre and ice cube had a pretty big part in it i'm pretty sure dre is a producer and so mm-hmm. he may have been there's a good chance he was financially involved with the film mm-hmm. i know he was on set because i remember a little behind the scenes when dude was dj and he was like nah 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 this is how we used to get down back in the day so mm-hmm. he's like directly involved so mm-hmm. i think there's an inherent issue when these things happen because that person feels the need to sugarcoat their part of the story. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how you feel about that, but are you less inclined to go see a film when you know the person it's about had a part in making it? I'm not less inclined. If anything, like in the past, when it was unbeknownst to me that a lot of people were like, 
removing certain aspects of their lives. Um, I really enjoy the idea of the fact that, like, if if there's a documentary or a biography film or whatever, that the person who it's about or the subject matter it's about has a direct hand in it. Because it's like, they're literally giving me the first-hand account of what it was like for them in those experiences. So I really enjoy movies like that because for example like straight out of compton when that first was coming out i was like oh my god they're creating a, a movie about nwa and ice cube is a part of it ice cube's son is starring as himself in the movie dr dre is going to be a part of it like they're hyping it up i'm excited for it but then it's just like it isn't until after the movie you watch it and then you hear about the controversy around it it's pretty much just kind of like dang so you got you were involved in telling your story but you didn't tell the whole story like you might as well just left it up to the p- other people, you know? Yeah. That's how I feel about it. Because, to be quite frank, I mean, there was controversy about Dr. Dre's past in regards to, like, his relations with women and them being um, physically violent or mentally abusive. And I think it was very interesting and it was purposeful on that production's part, and maybe him, but it was purposeful to not highlight his past transgressions of being violent. Um, with these women, specifically the mother of one of his children. So I think that was very interesting. In fact, like in the beginning of Straight Out of Compton, we we see that the woman who's like, I'm fed up, I'm done, I'm leaving you. She's actually the woman who was like being fed up with this being a violent relationship in the presence of their child. So she was just like, I need to remove myself. And it was just kind of like, they showed that and then that character was done forever when it came to the topic of Dr. Dre and his life with an NWA, which was very interesting, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's funny, too, because, like, I know, like, when this Michael Jordan documentary was like, about to come out, like, a week away, there was an interview where Mike was, like, uh, like he was getting second thoughts. He was nervous. He was like, I don't know, because y'all going to see too much. I don't want people to, like... Think- Dislike me. He said, especially because, you know, the whole, like, he's super competitive, and he don't, <laughs> I don't feel like I'm a monster or whatever. But... As you see, like with the Michael Jordan documentary, half the time we already know. Like we already know about Dr. Dre's stuff. Like we already know about that. Mm-hmm. And so if people already accept you and they know that, mm-hmm. yes, there's gonna be people that are reminding like, dang, I really can't rock with you, bro. Cause now I'm seeing it for real, for real. I can't ignore it. But mm-hmm. chances are, like, by diving deeper into the story, especially if you're a different person now, which I really do think, like, based on what we know about Dr. Dre, not that he's it was grown. ever right. He's grown. Michael Jordan, okay, he's still kind of crazy. <laughs> but I think seeing that growth in the person is also powerful. And if you really believe that you were wrong for something back in the day, shouldn't you want to, like, let people know, like, yo, like, don't make the same mistakes I did. That's, like, the complete evolution of growth, in my opinion, when you can look back and admit that you did that mm-hmm. and help the next man from not doing it. You know what I'm saying? When you're still, like, I want to hide this, it means you know you're wrong and you don't want to live up to it. Mm-hmm. So, I think that's what's my frustration with it, you know, with films like Out of uh, Straight Out of Compton and that whole like hiding something because when it, it's better to just be upfront and honest about it versus somebody literally writing articles about it or somebody having a movie come out about it to highlight your actions. Like there was a movie about um I don't really know her name. I keep missing her name, and she had a very like a mini vowels voice is very soft and the movie is called surviving compton i'm gonna look it up for you yeah uh was it were they married 
are I, don't I know, know they were dating for sure um surviving cop Mich- um michelle or michelle Michelle's Michelle, because it's a Michelle but apostrophe. But surviving Compton, Dr. Dre, Shug, and Michelle, and it was just her. Lily, it was more so the documentary was centered around her and the fact that she had an abusive relationship with Dr. Dre. And just like that movie came out a couple of years after, yeah, it came out like a couple of years after the Dr. Uh, Dr. Dre film. It's just kind of like, bro, if you would have just been honest about it in the beginning then like when movies such like this come out it's not a shock to the audience you know no definitely definitely i get why they don't when they do it though <laughs> obviously mm-hmm. but it's one of those things like you said like when a person's involved a you know they have consent to make this film b you know they have a greater chance of getting in it right mm-hmm. but it's like there's also the negative that, like if mm-hmm. this person is too involved we might go the opposite direction so it's definitely something to really pay attention to yeah. you another category in this we definitely hit everything i guess my final note was just the fact that like it's better to be upfront and honest and then you're the people that were fans with you to make the decision to still support you than to not and give off this this vibe that you're being sneaky not saying that people who are part of these productions were sneaky but versus giving off the vibe that you're potentially being sneaky and withholding information and the audience being like i don't know if i really want to rock or support with this person because they're shysty, you know? And once you want to, like, if you know it's going to come out, this is 2020, like, yo, as soon as you put that movie out and if there's something that they, you try to hide, mm-hmm. it's going to be a movie about it at this point. Like, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what happened. Once like you want to tell it, get out ahead of it and tell it in your own words first, that's what mm-hmm. I want to do. Like, I want to, like, look, I know some come out regardless, but let me go ahead and address this. Um, I think what we're, what's, I'm going to highlight one thing that I think that was like a really good example of like the people, the subject matter, um, the subject matters being involved in the production of their documentary. And I think, which is one of the best representations of creating like a docuseries or biographical like series on a subject matter was new additions with BET. All of them were involved. Wasn't that a show though, a series? It was a series. It was it was like a two to three part series. All of them were involved in the process of telling their story of being in the band. But it was a very an on it was like a real honest reflection of their life. Like they highlighted the fact that one of them struggled, like one of them was willing to highlight the fact that he was abusing drugs. Bobby was a, was willing to show that he was very like the oddball out of the group because he was always like trying to he was fighting or in direct opposition to people in the group doing drugs drinking not having a lot of work ethic had this whole me 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 attitude then he had the idea then they also showed like the fact that some people were jealous within the group like it was very honest it was a very raw depiction and I think a lot of people my mother even was one of those people she had said that you know it made me love them even more Mm-hmm. you know she said me seeing all that they had the experience and all that they went through as a group and as individuals made me love them even more as artists mm-hmm. you can only gain stuff like that if you're open and up front so that's all that's all i'm gonna say about it unless you get something else to say about it i think we can move along to our next topic mm-hmm. uh, which is keep it short um we are going to be discussing the web series. Sorry about that. So if you don't know about this web series, um, it's brought to you by Stupid Films. That's the YouTube channel. 
um, in the story. Showrunner, uh, director Matthew Antonino. Shoutouts to him. Yes. <laughs> and all the crew. It's a, a J- Mentez production. Um, it was released on April 20th, 2020. And it's literally... The story is an actor moves from Zanesville, Ohio to Atlanta in order to pursue his dreams of becoming an actor. He can crash on the couch of his cousin who gets, who goes to Spelman. What could possibly go wrong? So that's pretty much just a coming, like a story of somebody trying to have their big break. But what I like about it is just how it looks, the colors that's used in like the film, like whoever edited this did a great job. Um, definitely it's set in atlanta so it's definitely going to be highlighting the the people in atlanta the diverse you know the demographics of atlanta it's just really cool and it i like we talked about here is another subject matter of like short you know series where the subject matter is on a on an awkward black male we don't see too many of those and i really enjoy this um seeing this because we can I feel like we can credit it a little bit with the show Atlanta. <laughs> a little bit. All right. I don't want to turn this into like the hater pod. We did just spend like 20 minutes hating on documentaries. <laughs> uh, side note, all those documents we said, I don't know about the line, so I haven't seen that in a long time. But when I first saw it, and I was a little more ignorant, it was really good too. But all those mm-hmm. films are really good films. So shout out yes. to like all the people that made them because they did their job. We're just more so talking about like the the narrative and, and being whatever. true yeah same thing with this like this film looks dope or this web series looks dope like like he said the colors and stuff are great popping um, yeah all that stuff is dope but <laughs> in the shots and everything like it looks like a really good like i think i've seen somebody say uh this should be on netflix like it had an overview on youtube about how this should be on netflix and it should be like it's definitely good but i'm not gonna sit here and say like it's a little bit inspired by Atlanta. for one it's literally in <laughs> and the dude does kind of remind you a lot. Shot of Shim Gambino. <laughs> but he's like the the the, the funny. even more awkward cordy version. It's like it's it kind of feels like a spoof of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Like it's like the more out there version of it. Mm-hmm. So I'm, that's my only like this is like if I had never seen Atlanta and I wasn't really hit to all that and I just mm-hmm. seen this I would be like literally like all over this like this mm-hmm. is so dope this is amazing because like the craft of it is dope mm-hmm. it's the story mm-hmm. one i'm not really into the story i'll be honest with you but i just love the way it looks and i love like the execution of it so i'm like oh this is worth watching i think the story is mm-hmm. kind of shallow when mm-hmm. i first had a first class with you back in college right mm-hmm. idiot theory whatever you mm-hmm. and philip were talking all this land land what did i say I don't remember. It was years ago. Yes. I was like, yo, everybody in this room, like, I'm going to paint this scene. So it's a classroom, a white teacher, all white students, three black black kids, kids. all sitting in one corner by each other. These two, her and Philip, we might have Philip on the pod one day. Uh Of course, they're being loud all the time. Whoa, whoa. (laughs) that was not the case. Perpetuating all stereotypes. No stereotypes for (laughs) perpetuating. Perpetuated. I'm back there being chill. When you look cool, I say chill. What is that? Being yeah, cool. I don't know. Too cool for school. I'm chilling. Until there's one point when they start gassing Atlanta because they feel the need to support black films, I feel like. <laughs> we talked about that on the last episode. <laughs> I'm like, yo, I know it's a room full of white people. I'm not supposed to say this, but that, it's not that good. Like, 
it's cool. This is before like season two and like later on. This is like early Atlanta. So I'm like, yo, it's not that great. So when I see this, I thought Atlanta wasn't all that to begin with. I'm kind of like. Y'all, he is being <laughs> disrespectful. First off, what? I want to plead the case of me and my friend Philip. We are not perpetuating any stereotypes. We were cool. We just, if we had opinions, <laughs> we was willing to provide the opinions. Hey, if like, they just here. say who was, if they take a poll, who was the most late person in the class, the most consistently, or just skip, who would win that award? It was definitely not me, because I was <laughs> always, no, I would always show the You're a time. serial skipper. How was I? How was I a serial late serial skipper? But I was the one who literally did so well in the class I didn't have to take the final. Says the person who literally you didn't take the final. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Eichel's class. Oh, we talking about Eichel's. This is a long time ago. This is before. (laughs) This is before holidays. Okay, okay, okay. Eichel's. I didn't skip because I couldn't skip. Should we be saying their names like that? Ooh, you can book him out. I didn't. I was never skipping well, that class. That. <laughs> I was never skipping that theory class. First off, I might have been late. My classes were literally from one end of the campus to another end of the campus. So I had anyways, with your own BS. If she knew that ahead of time. But back, back to the this, yeah. story. That's the story. I mean, you're a hater. First off, because Elena was really good, and I think it was just one of those shows were just kind of like. Better. I feel like it was one of those shows where it really wasn't about nothing, and that's what made it cool. It was just like first we get all this all the time. We see shows that don't where it don't be like us, and it be people who really are doing nothing. The whole plot is them doing nothing, not being about nothing. Then we finally get that with Atlanta, but we're getting it with like people we recognize, Childish Gambino, and you and you tell me to not support it. Like first off, the show was hitting like color wise, the story was hitting like diversity the story was hitting with the whole idea of like this guy who's trying to make it in the rap game and he's like everything about him doesn't show that he's hard but he's trying to be present himself as a hard rapper we need to have a whole discussion on that because if it was really about him trying to make it in the rap game that one would be crazy but it's not about that but it's (laughs) but it's not just first three episodes it's not just about that character trying to be a rapper it's about every part every, every person who's a part of who's connected to the team in some sense. So the producer, the manager, the hype man, the girlfriend of the manager, you know, it's about all of them. So you can't just, it's not just about one, whatever. What are we supposed to be talking about? Sorry about that. No, I'm saying, because low-key, real quick, real quick. I think the thing with Atlanta and sorry about that is when, okay, when Atlanta got really into that whole gag thing, we are like really trying to get to the next, gotcha thing which i think sorry about that kind of does at times it's mm-hmm. not as good but when they land started to focus more on like topics like their best episodes are the ones where it's like this episode is clearly they had a message like it was less about the actual story mm-hmm. that's where it shines you know what i mean like the episode mm-hmm. cat williams and gator like those are the episodes that are like way off the storyline those are the ones that hit and i got a feeling with sorry about that we're about to get some of that even with the preview i saw i feel like they're really about to start hitting on some like little social topics mm-hmm. and i think that's what the story really pick up because i think okay. for me personally i don't really connect with the characters for real you mm-hmm. know what i'm saying and i feel like i've seen this before mm-hmm. i did so, think of the vibe i've seen this before yeah. i can't say i connected to the characters yet because it was like how long was the episode the episode was like less than it's 20 the minutes pilot. it's the pilot yeah and like, so there's no way whole... you didn't really connect with the character yet in a pilot episode i feel like but 
all in all, it's definitely worth checking out and forming your own opinion. It's, it's really good. It Sorry about, about yeah. color grading and all that, how it's shot. Like, it's really good. It's worth checking out. Um, the woman, It's a woman who writes it, like a beautiful woman who writes it. So definitely diverse. Hey, as far as web series scenes. go, I would say it's definitely like a, if 10 is like the greatest web series of all time, I would say it's like, in terms of where I'm at right now, I'm at like a seven. So it's really worth watching. Like, Okay, I'll give it a seven. Right now, for where I'm at, is at a seven. Episodes come out every other Wednesday, so episode one is already out. Preview for episodes two. Preview for episode two is already out, so definitely tap in. It's Stupid Films is the YouTube channel. The show is called Sorry About That, episode one, coming to Atlanta. Um, We're going to move on to our next Keep It Short topic, and that is Wale's music video, Sue Me. I'm about to hate on everything today, I guess. Oh my god, y'all. It looks like I'm everybody's advocate today. Oh my goodness. Okay, Wale's music video, Sumi, if you haven't seen it, um, try, the song was pretty cool. Uh, it's more so the focus of the music video is supposed to give the alternative, like an alternative universe where the racial dynamics and the racial like oppression is different. So it's flipped to where black people are not necessarily the oppressed, but they are the oppressors. And white people are the ones who are like the demographic who struggle financially, you know, in the judicial system, um, physically, all of that. Um, and it's just Wale taking these real life situations that happened in our time and flipping the race of them. So you got the Starbucks incident where the two guys, two black men were just sitting in Starbucks, you know, minding the day. And then the barista had called the police on them and, you know, the whole Starbucks controversy around that. Black men being disproportionately in the prison system, even though we make up the smallest percentage of population-wise, and the smallest percentage of people who actually like commit crimes, and it was it was pretty good. They actually had a couple of actors, one uh one main actor in it. Um, if you if you haven't seen Honey Boy, um, the protagonist who plays uh Shia LaBeouf when he's like older. His name is Lucas Hedges. He also plays in Waves, uh, that A24 film. He stars in Wale's music video, Sue Me. And it's also directed by Pierre Moss, um, forward-thinking fashion designer. His name Kirby Jean Raymond, but Pierre Moss is his brand. Yo, but I like calling him Pierre Moss. I mean, if he he would rather be called Kirby Jenkins, I have no problem calling him that. But Pierre Moss, just... When you hear it, it's like, oof. You know? It's got <laughs> yeah, that oof to it. But it's directed by him. So definitely some names you may recognize. Directorial debut, too. Mm-hmm. I think he did pretty good for a directorial debut. What What is your thoughts on it? Because you said you, you're going to hate on everything today. <laughs> no, it's super dope how it looks. The concept is amazing. Acting. Is that, I, I thought that was the kid from Ozark. Am I tripping? No, that's not the kid from Ozarks. Does he not look like him, though? <laughs> Does not look like him. I'm talking. About, I'm talking about Ruth's brother. Does does not look like him. Oh well, I can see where you're thinking that, but that's not him. Okay, okay. The whole time I thought that was him. I'm like, hey, what's No, what's this actress is Lucas Hedge in the Ozarks actor. Yes, look it up for y'all so we can get the. I'll let you get while you're while you're looking up that. I think I think it's dope and everything. My only issue was just like the end. How they try mm-hmm. to tie in the whole coronavirus in the prison thing, which is obviously something that needs to be seen. And while he has a platform, and when you have a film, this is a film. It's not really a music video. It's a legit, like short film. It's as dope as this. 
you're going to get the eyeballs to where people are going to see that too. So I get mm. the thinking behind that, but I do think that it watered down the story. I'm really big. If you don't know this, you, you'll get to know this. I'm really big on momentum in films, right? Mm. I'm really big on like doing something and then getting a payoff in the end where everything snaps and hits home. I thought mm. we were at this point and we left that storyline and started mm. talking about something that is associated with that, but not mm. on the same path. I feel like they could have hammered home that point. That's my mm-hmm. only critique. Yeah, I just and feel like... I'm not the biggest Wale guy. So the musically, I wasn't really feeling it, but whatever. <laughs> people hate on Wale. I'm sorry people be hating on you, Wale. They don't give you credit. They're going to be mad when, you know, you're not here and they constantly want to gas you up. I'm telling you right now, you deserve credit. I won't do that. I promise you. deserve you. your roses while you're here, and I'd be more than happy to give you your roses while you're here. I love your music. Shout out to your music. But I will say, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> video footages at the end did not really make sense to me for the music video as a whole. Wasn't it random? Like I was confused. It felt very random. I didn't really get them. Like I don't get me wrong. I love the idea of you bringing awareness to something, especially something that affects our people. But I felt like it was completely random in the sense that was happening in the story. Because one of two things happens: either a you get caught up on that, and you forget all this like intricate i won't say intricate but there's all this like metaphorical stuff but you have mm-hmm. to really focus on for it to hit home right mm-hmm. you forget about that or you're still caught up on the story and you see this you're just like whatever and you ignore it because you're still talking about the story when things mm-hmm. don't relate it's like you have to pick one to think about you're not going to think about both of them mm-hmm. so, so like my it. thing is if he could have like so in the scene like the character lucas hedge plays otis i think no, no, that's in Honey Boy. Oh, God. Okay, Lucas Hedge, he literally, like, goes to see his dad in prison. I feel like if he would have just showed the fact that, like, people are dying right there in that di- narrative yeah. form in prison due to the coronavirus, it and then showed sense. in the end that black men, specifically, the people in prison are dying from coronavirus, or so black men and women, then that would have made way more sense. But I just felt like you said, I just felt like it was very random. I think it was an I feel like he felt like he needed to be timely to something that's happening right now. Mm-hmm. And that was just his way of being like, all right, checking it off. I'm making sure I raise awareness about this versus actually creating a narrative around that. Like you created the narrative of the prison industrial complex. Here's another way you could have inserted how messed up the prison industrial complex is and still be timely. Yeah. Yeah. As that was my thing. Don't get me wrong, it was shot very well. The song is pretty good. You know, Kirby, shout out to him for his directorial debut. You got like Lucas Hedge in it, so like the acting is on point. I liked the idea of flipping the roles of people's races when it comes to these certain um, show, highlighting disparities and racism in modern like Amer- America in the world. But I just felt like the ending was a little bit out of place with the actual footage of prisoners dying due to COVID-19. It just felt a lot of place. But that's just me. No, no, no. Before we move on real quick, that sums up Wale for me. Like, it's like Wale is obviously talented. In terms of, like, poetry, (laughs) that's why you like him. But uh, he's an amazing poet. (laughs) Whatever. I don't even like poetry like that. Oh, we are, we know. <laughs> I don't like I hate when people speak poetry. I really you, you about to say you hate poetry, but like if you all the type of films you like are like poetic in a sense. Then they have these monologues, which is like poetry. Like 
I just don't like when this, I'm sitting in a room at a talent show and it's five people in a row telling me these poems and like three of them kind of suck at delivering it. And the other two, the poem is stupid, but they're really good at delivering it. So I just don't like. Well, <laughs> I'm just saying. Well, I wonder what he I wonder what he thinks about my poetry, y'all. I'm not even at Nah, you and Chevy did y'all's thing. I remember that from way back in the day. <laughs> uh, that was really good. Like y'all actually practice. I'm like everybody else. <laughs> I hate amateur poets. That's what it is. Amateur poets got the whole game messed up for everybody. Wow. First off, last note before we move on. Spoken word poetry has influenced so much. Spoken word poetry has influenced a wave of films, has influenced a wave of music, and has influenced a wave of literature. So, you know what else inspired everything you love? You know what what inspired everything you love? Birth of a Nation. Revolutionary film. Techniques amazing. I know. What does that mean? It's really, it's a prejudice film. Yes, I know. I know. But I'm just saying that, like, you can't just shit on it all entirely. You got to respect it in a sense, I I guess. I do respect it. I I don't like amateur poets. (laughs) (laughs) I hate when people try to be deep and they're not deep. And that's why I hate about Wale. I feel like at times, he tries to be too deep. And, like, he's not connecting. Like, he didn't really think it all the way through. And it doesn't hit for me. Whatever. And he's, okay. I hate his personality. We're not, nope. Meek we, Mill. Nope, and how nope. he like was crying on Twitter. Nope. My we're not going to do that. We're not going to, we're not going to be talking about Wale like this. Very talented artist though. Pink gonna, game is stupid. Not going to lie. We're going to move on. We're going to move Boy's on. Boy's nice. We're, yeah. We're going to move on to our next category. Our final he's category. He's on way too many times. Oh, <laughs> gonna move on to our next category excuse me and that's in the queue and so this is where we talk about um a couple of films where we think you definitely need to check out if you have not seen um i'm gonna let shaka start off with his in the queue suggestions all right all right keep it short my man keep it short we're waiting for the hottest documentary in the world that's not michael jordan related it's your favorite america's favorite Hold up one second. <laughs> What's his real name? I already right. know where this is going. Not nah, all right. All right. I'm talking about Tiger King. In case you didn't know, yeah. you should know by now. But I said America's favorite. I mean Tiger King, obviously. Uh, what's this dude's real name? Do you know? No. Did I watch it? Oh, you no. didn't even watch it. What, I just what? have no interest in it. What? What? what, what but scrub? I respect. Individuals who do Joe Exotic, I don't know his real name, but Joe Exotic and Carol mm-hmm. Baskins. I know you guys seen a little Carol, Carol Basket. Basket. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, that book is hard. This is little kids. <laughs> this thing is crazy, bro. Mm-hmm. Like, look, look, look. Is it bad if I talk about white people right here? Stop right there. Stop right there. I'm just gonna go ahead and say this. I'm gonna go ahead and say this. I think a lot of stereotypes. Disclaimer, involved. disclaimer, his opinions are his opinions. My opinions are my opinions. I think there's this whole stereotype of like black people like being thugs or whatever. Obviously, there's a stereotype like that. Being crazy, the guys with guns are killing each other in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Mexicans, there's all kinds of stuff about them. Mm-hmm. You know, people from Middle Eastern parts of the world, there's all kinds of things about them. What mm-hmm. we don't talk about enough is, and this is only a small portion of people. I'm not talking about everybody, but some of the craziest people in America, some of the scariest people are lower income white people. They mm-hmm. play by a different set of rules, okay? Yeah. And 
the unpredictable, very. Uh, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I'm just saying, Joe Exotic <laughs> embodies this, bro. Every time I thought I had a handle or I knew what is going on, mm-hmm. bro's like, nah, 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 nah. Hold my beer. I'm gonna take this to the next level, bro. <laughs> There's literally hundreds of hours of videos of him talking about how he wants to kill Carol Baskins on on internet TV. Then when he goes down for it, he's surprised. But like I'm telling you, like, he's talking about, yeah, this is for you, Carol. He pulls out his gun. He's like, this jar right here, I'm gonna have your head in it. <laughs> and he's surprised. He's in jail for it. All right, spoiler. He's in jail for it. <laughs> Attempted murder, right? Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> like all the people he meets along the way that pushes him from this somewhat innocent mm-hmm. uh zoo tiger lover animal mm-hmm. enthusiast to this guy who's literally his main mission in life is a two things profiting off of tigers mm-hmm. and destroying carol baskins like the path to that point is insane mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. watch it it's crazy wow <laughs> wow well i'm uh gonna refrain from that one um who knows also, I what said, time will say. I said some groups of white people. <laughs> no, no, no. I agree. I agree. Okay. I like, like, there's some groups of different races. I'm saying I'm going to refrain from watching things. it. I mean, if I have some free time, I'm like, hey, ain't nothing else. Then I'll maybe check out that. But for me, I just personally have no interest for it. But I know that is a hot topic amongst people. People are definitely like messing with Tiger King and the crazy stuff that went down with joe exotica and carol baskin people making tiktok songs about bro, carol bro. baskin quick example quick example he married these two dudes right in a wedding it was like a couple of three mm-hmm. turns out none of them were only person that was gay was him now mm-hmm. gay what you do whatever we're not getting to that it's just crazy the fact that like he had these people who are living with him for eight years mm-hmm. <laughs> they're like yeah i really wasn't gay but like, he manipulated <laughs> me or like pressure me. Master manipulator, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. I heard about that. Definitely heard about that. Well, I my suggestion is for in the queue. I got two. Um, one I'm gonna keep it real short. It's called Black Story Presents. Your attention, please. And that is on Hulu. It is a three part mini series, and it is documentary, and it just follows different black people in industries, different industries, whether that's tech literature um film fashion business and how these young or uh young black people are innovators when it comes to you know pushing the game or anything and i think it's worthy checking out and i think it's also worthy checking out because you learn something new about these um young black professionals but it's also really cool and how they present their stories of how they became these successful black professionals you get it in, in an animated sense you get it in a short film sense you also just get it just firsthand interviews which i really love so definitely check out that and my last suggestion is the room the room is a shutter film um you can check it out on shutter subscription or you can check it on amazon prime with a shutter subscription and it is crazy. It is a thriller. It's about this couple who move to this new town. Um, they move in this house, this old house, and there's a room in the house where they have the ability to literally ask for anything, ask for a thing, and it'll manifest. And it's just kind of like, what's worse than a person that does can't have attain anything is a person that can have anything they want. And it's crazy. It's definitely a thriller. 
psychological thriller crazy worth the watch i don't want to spoil it for y'all so those are my two suggestions definitely worth the watch you got anything else shaka nah nah man hey if you're looking for something else to watch go ahead hit uh footballia.net go ahead and look at some old chelsea highlights get your job with mid-2000s amazing <laughs> catch up with some psg neymar jr Amazing. Oh, wow. Okay. Hey, cool. soccer is the greatest sport in the world, guys. This is our time. For sure. To I agree. I agree. Definitely <laughs> one of the greatest sports of all time. Uh, that's what I was talking about when I said I don't know too much about sports. I mean, the type of sports I'm interested in, not everybody's interested in, and for me, that is soccer. Amazing. But amazing sport. Um, one of the greatest sports. Um, but that Y'all concludes. Are weird. Y'all are weird. You like soccer? (laughs) I don't think. The funny part is a lot of people, I think there's a misconception that a lot of people don't like soccer when in fact like a lot of people like soccer. It is one of the like most like financially like lucrative sports out there. International sports. Yeah, just not in America. (laughs) Yeah, international sports. But um, yes, that is, that concludes our in the queue category, but that ultimately concludes um, episode two of the real podcast we thank you all for joining us today we appreciate you taking the time at your day um if you haven't already please be sure to follow us on our social media accounts at the real podcast on twitter instagram and facebook if you haven't done it already subscribe to the youtube channel um you subscribing means the world to us um, if you like what you see if you like what you hear leave comments you could definitely check out this podcast on different platforms, audio podcast platforms, at The Real Podcast. And we're excited to make future episodes. Shout us out. Let us know. Share. Comment. Tweet. Repost. We appreciate you. And we thank you. I'm Honesty Tajay. And it's your boy. You follow me, ShockV94, on Twitter. I'm trying to get that up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Peter, don't hate me for saying this. Free Exotic. Uh, oh, whoa. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. You can stay locked up. You can stay locked up. He just <laughs> he Since he wanted to throw his socials, I'll throw my socials. It is honesty, with two E's. Follow me on Instagram. Follow me with one E on Twitter. And that's a wrap, y'all. We appreciate you. Thank you. And have a good day. <laughs> <laughs>